If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za. There's a lot going on. We've also got breaking news right now. Nursa has granted ESCOM an 18.65% tariff increase. Uh, and it feeds exactly into the discussion that we're having right now, joined by Dylan Chabeling, energy expert, and then also by uh, McFarlane Molemi, Moleli, sorry, and you'll know him from, um, from Carte Blanche as well as various other uh, broadcast platforms. Maybe, McFarlane, let's come to you, uh, and then we'll go to a deal as well, right? Um, energy regulate, or rather, energy gets regulated in South Africa, and NERSA does that. Uh, so essentially what it means is you can't wake up and go, today I want to thumb suck a price for a kilowatt uh, of power. This is what it should be. You need to go through NERSA and they'll tell you whether or not that is permissible. And this year, ESCOM had gone to NERSA looking for a 32% uh, hike, tariff hike, and NERSA has come back granting them slightly more than half of that. So 18.65%. Um, maybe let me hear your thoughts, but then also, Adil, my question to you after that will be, we speak a lot about how ESCOM is always looking for money. Essentially, they're money hungry, but they are actually struggling to get the funding that's necessary to run optimally. So maybe you guys can just uh, answer those questions. Uh, Mac, you can go first. Well, uh, thanks for that, Susan. And I think uh, I'm going to start off from, uh, from from what you said earlier on that you know what can we do as citizens or as individuals? Yes. I think for me, we have to start becoming real corporate citizens in this in in, in this country. We've got to advocate. Look at the pushback that we give to government when it comes to e-tolls in Johannesburg. Point that they're now being scrapped. We cannot. Um, be, be quiet, we cannot be silent, we cannot allow for our votes to not speak for us. Um, we've got a government, we've got a democratic government, and advocacy from the ground up, from black, white, and colored people in this country needs to really t- um, take a stand, because we cannot allow for that. Why should we be getting um, uh, you know, tariff hikes? I'm, I would be happy to pay a tariff hike if I had electricity 24 hours, 365 days mm-hmm. of the year. Mm-hmm. KFCs are closing down as a result of the of, of, of government to deliver electricity. We've got children that were writing exams sometimes in the dark throughout um, uh, uh, you know, the exam periods where, you know, that, that discomfort, who, who, who would want to invest in this country knowing that there's no uh, energy efficiency, there's not enough um, 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 energy in, in, in this country. So I think as, as citizens, we've got to start standing up. We've got to start pushing back, back government. And it's not even a politicized issue, but it is an issue that affects me, you, regardless of, of color. It affects business, it affects us personally, it, it affects us in many, many, many different ways. So we've got to start advocating, one, for government to, to get their act right, Two, to also give a, a voice to the other opportunities that they are outside of this energy space. We've got to look at shale. We've got to look at oil. We've got to look at how we're going to explore gas and various other sources that can regenerate energy. We've got to get youth involved in this energy mix because it's all well and good that the adults are fighting there at the big table, making noise, cutting, cutting deals. It's the future of our children that we should be worried about. Mm. What country are we handing over to them? And that, for me, is the biggest and most important thing that as South Africans, regardless of race, regardless Regardless of color, regardless of political affiliation, we've got to stand up and really start pushing back and advocating for a change in, in our country so that we can secure the future of our children. It's that simple. Thank you very much for that, McFarlane Moleli. Uh, and so, deal. maybe let's speak about the capitalization now of ESCOM, right? 
Um, sometimes I am of the view that ESCOM should not be a profit-making organization in any case. Uh, when the conversation starts, you spoke about how it's a business. Uh, yeah, it is a business, but, you know, strictly speaking, a, bin- a business is one that is an organization that starts with the objective of making profits. Yeah, I think it should just be about providing a service. It shouldn't uh-huh. really look to make profits. Uh, and so maybe when you look at this tariff increase, which will further burden the South African taxpayer or, well, not tech, well, taxpayers are always burdened, but the South African um, consumer when it comes to, to, uh-huh. to electricity, maybe we should just kick this can back to Treasury and they should finance the deficits. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Look, the currently ESCOM is not a profit-making entity. Yes, they have to uh, recover on cost, and that is how actually NERSA comes into the picture. Mm. NERSA determines what ESCOM can make as revenue just to keep up its its infrastructure running and operating. Mm. And uh, that's why they do the tariff, uh, what do you call it, uh, the, the, the pricing, in mm. terms of allowing for tariff allowance and everything. So they would give a, uh, you know, ESCOM the opportunity to say, okay, give us your projection for the next year and the year after mm. what you're going to be requiring in terms of how and how you're going to be running your plants and in the ESCOM presented an entire plan of how they're going to be actually raising revenue required to operate the whole infrastructure of ESCOM and on there they have to justify it so where it's not justifiable they'll tell you no the tariff is too high it is not going to be actually accepted so reduce it so it ends up happening what what happens is they end up knocking out a whole lot of other things that they might have wanted to invest in. And because of if they were to get a 50% tariff hike, they would then be able to have extra income. There is no profit in ESCOM right now. Whatever is made by ESCOM is reinvested in terms of the operation and everything. And if they do make a profit, it's because they've literally juggled with the book in order to show a revenue, positive revenue, which does not get declared as profit or dividends to anybody. It just pays all the running costs and expenses get carried on to the following year as a, what you call a positive revenue opening up the book. So, yes, definitely ESCOM is not a profit-making company, but it has to operate on the principles of an organization that must be efficiently run, that must have a positive balance and income book, and that must produce. What so happens the, so then the here's the question. Match? Sorry. The big question so, is where would that additional capital come from then? Because we often hear exactly. of privatization of ESCOM, and again, I've got to say, I feel like that too would be a mistake because I don't yeah. see uh, how the terrorists would go down if ESCOM was private. The first mistake we made we was allowing that uh, funding for IPPs, which is uh, renewables and everything, should actually come out of the ESCOM's balance sheet, which is ESCOM's tariff. Mm. It's actually funded directly from ESCOM's income. That should have been a different program that should have been funded as a special capitals project out of Treasury to just fund IPPs and IPPs coming in. Whatever the addition that is generated gets pushed into the ESCOM infrastructure, good and well, that was okay. But the fact that they took it out of an existing revenue, not creating a new pool of capital like what they should have done in terms of building this power plant, this is what created the problem. You already have 100 rand that you are struggling to make ends meet. I come in and I said, out of that 100 rand, I'm going to take another 40, 40 rand out of it, survive with 60 rand. It's where the mess met happen because currently ESCOM survives out of a, a, a negative revenue environment where whatever income it gets, it has to prioritize what it pays first. Currently, the obligation of IPPs is a top priority obligation, which you must pay them first 
and they have something called pay or t- what do you call a take or pay agreement. Yes. Whether you use that electricity or not, you still pay, pay for it. Yes. And it's called uh, yeah, pay, pay, what do you call it, a take or pay agreement. So that is where the burden came in. They are paying for things they don't need. At the same time, they are not able to manage and do basic maintenance of their own power plants, which is currently required between 15 and 20 billion. Instead, when they have to patch it up, they go into the diesel environment and they burn up a lot of diesel in order just to keep up getting issue at bay. What had happened, history is very important and historical context is critical. And this is where we miss it most of the time. When ESCOM was created, which was called the Electricity Commission something, in the past during apartheid, remember, all the electricity plants were all IPPs, were all independently power plants and power owned. Mm. Then the African government says, no, this model is not going to work for us because we are going into this particular phase of transformation and development when they did the Afrikaner PEE model of, uh, what do you call it, uh, Afrikaner economic empowerment, Brudapont. They then bought out all the plants and they nationalized them. They put them under one company. Mm. And they said this Electricity Committee, which that is the reason why ESCOM has an ENK. Electricity Commission. Mm. That is where the company was created to say then we'll create this commission to build and, and, and control out of legislation of government the entire production, distribution and transmission and end use of electricity. They did very well because buying meant that they could implement the Fundabale strategy where they created the current town, which is Fundabale City which was created by Dr. Van der Beel, where they pushed up water from the Lesotho Highlands, mm. created an artificial river, and dredged it to create what we have as the Valdem that even crosses by. They created a, 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 what do you call it, a coal basin, where they could transform coal into all other things, metal, cement, and other things, including uh, asphalt, including the level of Sasol. This is the historical context. So core when as well. they invested in all of that, mm. uh, ESCOM was a very clean balance sheet base. They raised money in terms of whatever they could raise out of the market to build power plants. They didn't determine the capital of paying back power plants throughout the tariff or revenue. No. They raised it independently and put it as a kitty to say we're going to build this power plant and that power plant. Here's the capital. They raised it from government. They raised it from uh, interested parties like the bond and everything. They used that model perfectly so in the African time and apartheid age. That's how they built up all of these power stations. Most of them became debt-free and were completely paid up because of the capital model which was utilized. When we took over, we did the most ridiculous process by ensuring that we can actually engage in a debt-based model where we go in and we borrow money to build power plants. And on top of it, we determine the revenue of that borrowing to be coming out of the tariff that will be charged from the people. That was a big flaw. And we should have actually done a totally different model in respect to our energy planning model. And uh, we, we shouldn't have done that. That is why there is a debt right now within ESCOM that has created us the current problem of debt, where debt is being paid. On top of it, we are paying another a created debt, which is the IPP debt, which should have never been dependent on ESCOM. So the model was flawed. If they had just left certain things in its fundamentals and replicated what the African government did and did very well. We would have been a country with no load shedding and other problems. To fund IPPs, treasury from the ANC's point of view should have been actually the party that ensured that there is currently capital available 
to build and maintain power stations, whether it is solar, whether it is gas, whether it is nuclear, or any other issues. Joined on the line by Dylan Chabeling. Uh, having a discussion about the crisis that we faced with the energy crisis in South Africa. Give us a shout and ask whatever questions you may have. Zero eight six double zero double zero nine five nine. He is with us uh, for the next 40 minutes specifically. So if you just joined us, we're having a discussion about the energy crisis in South Africa. Join on the line by Dylan Chaweling, energy experts. If you've got any questions, please give us a shout. Zero eight six double zero double zero nine five nine. Here are some of the voice notes. What he's saying is true. There's no sabotage. Those people that are there, they don't know what's happening. They don't know what's going on. I'll make an example. I've worked in the major companies like your metal. We used to have a real line of shutdown. Maybe a plant would run for the next 10 or 20 years. Then they'll tell you for one year that plant, we're going to refurbish it. It doesn't run. After that, you know for the next 20 years or, or 30 years it's still going to run. The same thing that they can, can happen to, to ESCOM won't have uh, load shedding. So those guys are looking after their pockets. What they do is they don't want to spend money so that they can get huge bonuses because they know very well if they could spend money they won't get their bonuses. That's how it is. Mm. I'll play another voice note back to back and then I'll come to you Adil. I just want to find out guys in layman's terms can you guys just explain what it is to produce power using nuclear? Um, I understand the science behind coal plants and you know how power is generated from using coal but then with nuclear how how does it work do you have to build plants all over what what's sort of like the recipe mm. so adil maybe you can just start by answering the second question first and then the first one i'll add to it and then we'll come back to you Excuse my apologies i didn't hear anything on the questions and the comments as well so Oh, okay. I, I didn't get the question. Yeah, so, so the last one he was asking, how do you generate electricity via nuclear? Uh, because he understands how you generate electricity, for example, using coal, uh, and he understands how you can generate electricity using alternative forms of power generation. But nuclear, he doesn't understand. So, how do you generate electricity via nuclear? The same process used for nuclear is the same one that works in the coal plants. Nuclear produces the current heat that is required to create the steam. The steam creates, then gets transferred into the turbine. From the turbine, it pumps up, and then actually electricity is created throughout that whole process mm. when the water is in the turbines are actually run. 100%. It's the same process. That is why you needed the heat steaming, and that's why you need electricity produced, which is the heat itself yes. that is produced right now. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for that. So then the first voice note spoke about how. Uh, he's got experience working in big... He used to work at Asselomitsal, this guy. And he says, uh, for them, they used to have plants, multiple plants. The plants would run maybe for 20 years. And then after 20 years, they'd shut down the plants for like a year, refurbish the entire plants so that it can come back and restore life and run for another, I don't know, 15 or 20 years again, right? The problem with ESCOM is that it runs on the margin every time. That is very difficult for us to take any time off or time out to refurbish the plants. So what would need to happen? Because even with Kusile, Metupi, there are certain power plants that were built that we were told, right, we're going to be able to ease the burden of the older plants. And that hasn't happened yeah. either. Yeah, look, the, the power build program was completely flawed from the beginning because there was no priority to it. There was no policy that spoke about how and when it must be done. Remember we had when, uh, everything, it always goes back to the origin. When we took over from the apartheid government, the you know the NC, they should have actually had a plan to expand 
the electricity generation. You said they deferred it for 20 years and completely flawed up on the process. Had they built up minimum at the time. Now, if you just joined us, you've missed out on an awesome discussion that we've been having over the last hour and 45 minutes, uh, joined by Dylan Chabeleng, an energy expert, just telling us about the issue that we're having regarding power generation in South Africa, uh, energy as a whole, yeah, because even transmission is seeming to be an issue right now. So the last time we spoke, Adil, uh, which was about 15 minutes ago, you were then getting into the discussion about how sometimes ESCOM will have to use diesel, right, uh, in the absence of uh, the coal that they may need in order to just keep the lights on, literally. There's a conversation that's then started now about the people that get to supply ESCOM with the diesel. Uh, and Praveen Godan has been saying, well, maybe ESCOM should be given a wholesale license so that they can procure the diesel from manufacturers themselves that eliminate the middleman because they literally do use billions, and I'm not exaggerating, billions of diesel per week. Uh, and so what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I think that one was actually nicely answered by the Department of Minerals and Energy that why is ESCOM still procuring when they already have a capacity to buy directly from any of the refineries or wherever. The challenge was not even to, with regards to the cost of that. You know, there's money being made in the process and whoever has been given the diesel uh, tender is the one that is making the fortune. So if ESCOM had to procure directly, they still can. And I remember there was some paperwork which they were supposed to submit in order to be given that wholesale licensing. And uh, that was where the discrepancies were. The Department of Minerals and Energy did respond on that you know, and I'm still shocked and surprised that when we had petrol SA, which was supposed to be proposing that particular resource, when we had Sato, we sold all of those things as the AC government. Mm. And now we have a problem and we don't realize that we were the creators of this particular problem because this state owned entity should have been performing that particular job of giving us energy security as well as the resource and security for your supplies, your inputs of, you know, whether it's diesel, whether it's gas, whether it's to do with oil, whether it's to do all of the inputs in terms of major commodities. We should have been getting them from the state-owned entities. And that whole model was completely messed up. So at this stage, we have nobody to blame but the current leadership and the leadership that took over from 94. Because the African government left everything in pristine state and handed it over, unlike what they did in Mozambique, where they messed up everything and literally flooded even the pipe, uh, what you call it, the sewage pipes and all of that mm. with cement when the Portuguese pulled out. Here we inherited everything on the platter, on the silver platter, instead of having continued it, maintained it, and made sure that we kept it at the stage, we just went in literally vulture-like and harvested it at the Dracula level. So now, to wrap it up, because you painted a very bleak picture over the last hour and 49 minutes, can we recover, and if so, how? Definitely we can recover, and we need a, a totally, totally new leadership that thinks clear and straight, and that has self-respect and has integrity, and that can lead this country. One, we need to have a plan. I suggested that instead of having a 30-year, 40-year, 50-year plan, do a five-year long-term plan. Mm-hmm. Five years is long-term. In that five years, you give us a year-by-year objectives. First year, second year is mid-term planning, and then uh, long-term is five years. Every year you deliver on an objective. We want to build 10,000 megawatts. You must tell us in the first year what you're going to do in terms of that capacity build and what you're going to deliver. And you deliver this project on an 18-month level, on a cycle level. Any power plant can be built today, by the way. 
within an 18-month cycle. If you're serious and you are really clear about what you want to do, the Chinese are proving it. They are building over 50,000 megawatts of electricity capacity on an annual basis. So this mindset to say it's not doable, it cannot be done, it's actually a, a lie. If other nations can do it, South Africa has just not positioned itself seriously. We can deliver. But again, we have a black complex problem where we are so undermining on ourselves and they have taken this current leadership that is just the bounchard that has failed and everything. And we have assumed their understanding of how things work to be our current reality in today's times. We are in a nuclear, no longer fusion age into a fusion age. And yet we're still operating like we're in some rural, you know, back whatever lifestyle and wanting to be walking barefoot and actually using donkey carts to go into a future. So that's where the problem is. The leadership is decrepit and completely bankrupt. You need serious people and thinkers who can say from here onwards, this is how we're going to move forward and really turn this country around. I like what McFarlane and Malele said very clearly that we need civil, we need corporate citizenship, we need civil activism, we need boots on the ground on ordinary people who are clear and smart, who can make a difference and say, let's go out there and let's get it done and change this country and make it one of the best countries that should have been and look at all the alternative sources, oil, gas, well, and all of them, by the way, we have them in South Africa. We do, but the problem... gas is available. We've the, got gas in South Africa, by the way. Yeah, We've we, got the current offshore fields that are currently being sold away, 90% of them away. Yes, no, you're 100% correct. We do, we do have them, but the problem with especially the corporate leadership that you speak of is that they've got ulterior motives. And so even them, when they get involved, the first thing they say is, let us run ESCOM. We'll take over and we'll run it efficiently. And mm. I'm not sure that's what we need. Uh, we've no, 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 no. All then, of and these things everywhere around the world, Cesar, by the way, everywhere, yeah. go to every country in the world. Mm. The government has the most involvement in terms of anything that has to do with development. It has never been left to private interests and entities to do any national development program. Go to China, go to Europe, even including the UK. The programs for development are run by the government and the state-owned entities. The only time private sector comes in is when it supplies the inputs. They're on top of adding on, not controlling the program, not being the government, so then not we need, being the state. Then we need to be very careful in warning the populace that as, yeah. as frustrated as they may be, they mustn't capitulate to the idea and the notion that things would be better if they were private. Yeah. No way. Private sector cannot run a state. That is why it's called the private sector. It's got its own area of domination and dominance that it must focus on and be brilliant at. We should never capitulate to that ideology that we're going to give over to private interest and privatize everything and make sure that the privatization of water, privatization of all of that, then we're going to be in a mess of a situation. We want the state to have its own capacity and capability everywhere in the world. All the top nations globally work on state-based, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, development, and they are using their current environment of financial systems and as well as the platforms like your reserve bank. People are not borrowing outside. Somebody was explaining very nicely because I had said this for over 20 years that the reserve bank creates money. Mm. And people thought we were crazy and they called us conspiracy theorists and everything. Today, it's a fact. The Reserve Bank creates the creation of uh, revenue as well as money in the economy that circulates. They even create the debt 
that is residing in banks by giving them a certain leverage on what to float and how to float it in and managing it through the interest rate. So why are we not using our reserve bank? Why have we privatized our economy and privatized our reserve bank financial environment? You can have private banks, but the reserve bank must be controlled by the state in order to push state orientated development, especially with the largest majority of our people being the most poorest. In China, the state controls everything, and it's the most developed society in the world in terms of capitalism on private ownership. How is that possible? Mm -hmm. That's what we need to do. Let's take some callers. It's Epo in Soweto. I'm calling you. Um, Sidi, um, um, well, first time calling your show, ne? Ah, thank you very um, much. And I think, um, yeah, this is a great topic. Thank Quickly, you. Quickly, I just want to ask, you know, um, something that is concerning me is that, um, you know, previously, ESCOM used to blame, you know, the load shading on, you know, um, wet, um, cold, and it stopped. And the next thing was sabotage. Now, the sabotage, we have soldiers who are carrying those things. Now, it's something like the, the ball poles, you know, keep on moving and shifting every now and then. They cannot actually deal with the situation once and for all. When the very same current president came into power or into, you know, government, he said he promised that the load shading will actually end. But prior to that, when Nate was still a president, they were actually warned about that. The Department of Mineral and Energy had released the document. And in actual fact, there was a plan. There was one, um, I think, Jan van Fielen, um, in back, back, back in 2015, he wrote an article on my perspective. He was explaining about the ESCOM, um, uh, the, the warning that was given to ESCOM about, you know, um, demand of electricity and everything that is happening. Yeah, so it was given but to President Tabo um, In yeah, fact, as early uh, as 1995 and then again in 2001. Certainly. Yes. So my biggest problem here is that the document was already available. The ANC had been in power during those years. But what I find very funny, on that very same document, if you look, you go back to the document of Department of Mineral and Energy, you would notice that they actually wanted to break the monopoly of ESCOM, which was done poorly because they had a problem. And that article it does actually address it. Jan van Fieren does actually explain that. So let's get to the question because we need to close. So what's yeah, the question? My, okay. My, 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 it's not per se a question. I'm saying that we have gangsters who are actually capturing the government now. Mm. We're trying to milk every single cent out of the government to make sure. Let's ask, who's going to benefit? I mean, I saw in so many articles, they were showing that who's going to benefit with the PPEs, the mostly. Someone who's aligned to see the Ramaphosa. I mean, uh, the Mozilla family, they're already there. Then the country's actually been taken for granted here. If it's going to be generating 740 megawatts for the very same country as the largest uh, 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 power supplier, Who's connected to the person who has, you know, a phone call away from the president? Then the country shouldn't be thinking that this is actually being exacerbated so that we can accept the PPE by force now. So they need to actually drown ESCOM and they say it's not working until people accept that they need to sell it to the private sector. But nonetheless, as we've already, you've already mentioned earlier on um, uh, uh, right now, to say UK and other countries have privatized those companies and they, were buy, they bought them back. So private sector is all about the investors and everyone. So only few people are going to afford the electricity. For me to tell you something, the ESCOM problem is self-inflicted because they are politicians and private sector which have their own interests. So the, Thank you, Tepo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, and so then to wrap it up, Adil, um, where to from here? What is it that you think we would need to do? 
I think from here, what we need to just really do is one, we need a massive, uh, really, civil society uh, really standing up. We need people to say now, enough is enough. Beyond this point, we cannot affect anymore because we get disrupted on a daily level. Mm. We need to get back the fundamentals. We need to make sure that ESCOM has a power plant that are working and this power plant can generate electricity that we all need. Fix ESCOM currently and then sort out the power shortage issue and make sure that we have reserve electricity. That's the first thing. Then after that, go on to a power build. Make sure that we have enough power plants that can be built that can actually generate electricity. And we stop this bickering whereby there is everyone else who's not interested in things that have developed interfering in our country and not giving us our democracy that we fought so hard for. And we can make sure that this country works economically. We can make sure that it works socially as well as politically. But to do that, you need to have citizens standing up on their feet and making sure that they can have their voices heard and confront the situation with the current leaders and make sure that they are actually going to take decisions and make sure that we do and we get what we want. Currently, this is a mess and it will not be changed unless we stand up. Load sharing phase six is just the beginning. We're going to go into eight and then very soon there will be a collapse of the grid and there wouldn't be any electricity available. And then after that, you are then on your own and we are in a hell of hole worse than what you can find, find anywhere in Africa. Nobody can afford generators or all the highly expensive solutions that have been presented. And that is why people are not moving into adopting any of the other alternatives because it's highly expensive. And the majority of South Africans are poor people and don't have the money. Thank so you. we must be aware of these issues and we must really take ourselves serious as black people. We've mismanaged this country. We need to take it back and make it right. Thank you very much, Adil Nchaweling, uh, joining us there for the last two hours on the show and giving us a much needed insight into the South African energy crisis. Thank you for your calls. If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za.